This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our friends at Scentlock. Um, Scentlock is a complete toolkit for bow hunters. I actually just got my grinder tree stand pack from Scentlock, and it's very well designed, uh, beautifully built. And, and and again, they're just furthering their toolkit for bow hunters. So whether you need some new clothes um, or a backpack or some ozone products, uh, go check out our friends over at Scentlock. I've got a good friend on the phone, a uh, a buddy of mine, a fellow bear archery guy, Mr. Warren Holder. Warren, how, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Yourself? Oh, it is... Uh, it's currently 11 degrees here in Kansas, so as good as you can be when it's 11 degrees, I guess. Yeah, it's not much better here. I woke up this morning and it was, I think it was zero with a real feel of negative 19. Golly. Yeah. I was like, and it was 60 on Sunday. Yeah, no, it's the same way here. Um, we were, yeah, I think I think uh, Monday we were at the park in shorts and a t-shirt, and then and then Tuesday morning it was like, six degrees and i'm like good lord my wife actually she uh monday she turned the heater off and i didn't know it and so tuesday like 3 a.m i wake up and my house is freezing cold and i'm like why is my house so cold and uh so i wake up and like the alexa shows me that it's like seven degrees outside and then i go and look at the thermostat says off and i'm like you gotta be kidding me and so I, I told her, I'm like, this is why you don't touch the thermostat. Like, this is it. And she's like, well, I didn't know it was going to be cold. And I'm like, I know. That's why you don't touch the thermostat, because you didn't know this was going to happen. Right. It's crazy, yeah, that, man. That's pretty good insulation if it was still 60, though. Yeah. It does. That's pretty good, really. Well, it uh, it did. I mean, it w- didn't take long, um, you know, because it, it overnight it dropped and my house was freezing cold. But um doesn't make for shooting a bow outside very fun, though. I know that. Dude, I haven't even, from the time that I've been shooting my recurve, I think I've shot outside like once. And that one time it was like probably 15, 20 mile hour winds. And that's when I was, that's when I really learned already just like, holy cow, without the speed, you know, 
like it makes, I was like, okay, now I understand why all these guys are shooting 650, 700 grain arrows because that wind will just sail your arrow when it's yep. only going, you know, 170 some feet per second or whatever. Oh, it certainly will. Now, uh, Warren has already alluded to it. We're here to talk about, um, his journey into traditional archery. So before we jump in, let me give a quick thank you to our friends over at three rivers, um, three rivers. If you are getting into traditional archery, three rivers is absolutely invaluable. Um, now anybody who shoots traditional, they're valuable, um, because they are the largest in, in store, uh, for or I'm sorry, same day shipping, um, for, for traditional equipment in the, in the country, but for people getting into it, there's such a wealth of knowledge. I call three rivers, just called them like two days ago. And I'm like, I need your help. And, uh, they gave me all the information I needed. They're a wealth of knowledge. They have everything you could ever dream of traditional wise. And like I said, same day shipping, go check out three rivers archery. I know Warren just got a package from them, um, for, with some goodies. It's always a fun day when three rivers shows up. Oh yeah. I've already been buying a bunch of stuff from, you know, and then like with the recurve, there's things that you just feel like, you know, I don't really know how much purpose it serves. I just feel like I have to have it on my bow, you know, like, like the <laughs> beaver deal. Yeah. Like the beaver balls or whatever. Like, I'm sure that it makes a difference, but I don't know if it could really make that much difference, but it's just like, right. hey, hey, all those guys' bows looks cool. So I have to have it on mine. That's, uh, what, that, that's such a, that's, that was my biggest appeal really. Um, getting into it was like, everything is an art. you like, everything is a piece of, of like, leather hooded quivers opposed to like mass produced plastic quivers. And you know what I mean? It's just, everything is, is a, a work of art. I mean, each individual bow is a work of art, you know, all those beaver balls, all the string. I mean, everything is just, it's, it's a work of art, man. Oh yeah. You know, the more and more I'm looking into this stuff is the, the more and more I see these guys that like their arrows, it's like a craft, you know, they've all got a certain crest and their fletchings are all a certain way. I mean, just like we, you know, you do with a compound, but it's, uh, like you said, it's it feels a little more artistic, I think with yeah. the old school, um, way. So I really like that aspect. Now I'm still, I'm still having to figure out how to tie my beaver balls on there. So I'm probably gonna have to call three rivers cause I know it shouldn't <laughs> be that difficult, but I'm just, when, when you're, when you're so new to something, it's really good. I think honestly, to be able to start something again, that is related to something, you know, a lot about but it's so different because it reminds you what you didn't know. You know, like when you start 100%. with a compound and somebody brand new starts shooting, you're like, well, of course the release goes like this. And they, and they don't know which way the release goes. Um, when, and then, so now doing something brand new again, myself, I'm like, okay, well, I got to remind myself that you just, you don't 100%. know what you don't know. And it's not all that simple. You, you really learn how much you've learned over the years by just seeing those things. Well, and the biggest question I've gotten, because I'm only a year and a half into this, but the biggest question I've gotten is, has shooting a recurve made you better with your compound? And my answer to that is, like, the act of shooting the recurve did not. But the but forcing myself to execute a shot and, and work on the execution of that shot did translate into shooting a, a compound better because I broke everything about my shot down to evaluate it and to make it better for a recurve so then when I went into shooting a compound, all the, all the mechanics are there. Um, so I broke my shot process completely down to learn it with a recurve. So shooting a recurve did not make me a better archer, but 
the fact of relearning everything, like you said, and going back to the basics and breaking everything down, then I took it and applied it to my compound and that did make me a better shot. So I could have achieved that without going to a recurve. Like I could have, you know, taken a summer to break everything down with a compound and do the same thing, but switching to a recurve forced me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that I think I've noticed, um, is this is going to sound probably really, really backwards, I guess. It's going to sound backwards or or it's going to sound stupid. I think when I first started shooting the recurve, I was almost shooting better than I was, than I am now. And the reason that I say that is because it's what I was so detail oriented when I first started, right? I knew that I had no idea what I was doing. So every time I drew, I paid extreme attention to making sure that I anchored exactly the same, that the I had the bow, my grip was exactly the same, that I, you know, executed the shot exactly the same. I made sure that my fingers were in the exact same spot. I made sure that everything was exactly the same. And that, so that's what I realized. I think when you start to get comfortable a little bit, you you start to cut corners, you know, you're like, oh, I kind of know what I'm doing now. And then with the recurve, it shows you, you can't cut corners because you won't miss by an inch, you know, like you will with your compound or two inches. It You miss by four or five inches. And then it's like, holy crap, I'm not even in the, in the ballpark. Yeah. So no, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. And that's what the best advice I ever got from somebody, which, um, was Harvey Ebers, um, who has become one of my bow hunting heroes. Uh, he was actually just inducted into the Pope and Young Hall of Fame, um, was personal friends with Fred Bear. Um, well, anyways, I drove to Missouri when I got into this, I'm like, I just want to learn like from the best from the get go. So I drove to Missouri and I spent a day with Harv and I'm like, dude, you got to teach me everything about shooting a recurve. And, uh, and he gave me a shot process and he's like, you have to, you have to work through this shot process every time, whether it's at four yards or whether it's at 40 yards, whether there's a giant buck standing in front of you or a foam target, you have to force yourself to work through this process every time with a recurve. And, uh, and now I find myself still every time I shoot, I have verbal cues that I give myself. Um, obviously, when I'm hunting, I don't out loud say them, but you know, verbal cues that I walk through every time. And he, you know, what he he said was, it's going to do exactly what you said it's going to do. It's going to force you to every shot do it the exact same. But also, um, that mind control of when a big buck is standing there, you have something else you're completely thinking about. Like you're not thinking about the big buck at all. You're thinking about your shot process. And he said something to me that I remind myself a lot of in this journey and that's like you can't control anything that happens downrange so don't worry about that like you can't control what the deer does you can't control what the wind does you can't control you know if a a bird flies in front of your arrow and you hit the bird instead you can't control any of that but what you can control every single shot is your execution um and so i i my shot execution is i think about and 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 cheesy acronym but um I use the, 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 the acronym of GASP and and that's grip. I think about the grip of my bow. I think about my hook and how I'm placing my hook. Then I come to my anchor point and then I pick a spot and then it's pull, pull, pull through my shot. Um, and I think about that every shot and it, it does exactly what you said. Like when you start, you think through all those things and you process all those things. And so I just wanted to force myself into a lifetime of that shot process. Yeah. Well, I think that's, um, it's really interesting you say that because I was just yesterday, I feel like I was just getting far, far enough along in my um, journey here to start establishing a shot process. 
right? Before I've been, I've been playing around with everything. I've been playing around with, um, I guess my hook is what you would call it. My grit, um, exactly where I wanted to anchor where, how I'm going to aim. Am I aiming? Am I going to use the point of the arrow? Am I going to use, um, hold the arrow a little low? What was I going to do? So I didn't have, I was still having to learn all of those things before I could even make a process out of it and say, Hey, this is yeah. what it is. This feels good. Now I'm going to replicate this. I'm going to do it exactly the same every time. Right. Um, so it's been a really interesting process so far. Do you ever, uh, so for me, well, one, let's just, I feel like this could be a really interesting question. So let's ask this before we get too far in. What made you decide to embark on the, the traditional journey? Um, I'll tell you, it started off just like, hey, I want to do it. Um, there was no like, there was no, and it was really for fun, you know, just, hey, I want to plink around in the backyard. Um, Bear sent me a recurve probably three years ago and it sat on my shelf and I never, I mean, I looked at it, I'm like, man, that's so cool. And then Jim Willems, who at the time was the president of Pope and Young, uh, we were hanging out and, uh, and he's a trad guy. And so he was at my house shooting and I'm like, well, dude, why don't you teach me how to plink around with this thing? And, uh, and so I started shooting in the backyard and then I've got his permission to say this. So don't, don't, I have to, <laughs> don't start emailing John Dudley all, all mad that he says traditional archers aren't accurate because I'll get to what I mean in a minute. But I was on the phone with John Dudley and he said, well, I don't shoot a recurve because I like to be accurate. And, uh, and in that moment, I'm just the kind of guy where I'm like, well, I'm going to prove to you that I can be accurate with this thing. Like, and so that's when I set off on like the journey. Like I want to know everything I can arrow tuning, broadhead tuning. You know, I, I wanted to know everything. And that's when I really did a deep dive and I was calling three rivers daily and I was calling Tom Clum daily and Harv and Jim. And those, I was calling them daily, like asking questions. Like that's when I really wanted to tackle being good at this. Um, when he said that now, let me go back and, and say, cause in a, in another conversation, he explained to me what he meant. He can't be accurate with a recurve. He was not saying that people can't be accurate with a recurve. So that's why I said, don't start calling him saying, you know, I'm accurate, whatever. It's not what he was saying, but he was saying, I can't be accurate with a recurve, but I still use that as kind of like my, like John Dudley says this, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? You know, um, did, did he claim what he defines as accurate though? Like, did he say, you know, when no. he see that, I think that can make it a little harder too to qualify that question. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't bring that up. Um, mainly because I knew what he meant. Like I, I knew, I, I knew what he meant and most guys would, you know, he's not putting down any traditional archers. That's not what he was doing. Um, I've actually heard him rave about traditional archery. Um, that's not what he was doing. But in that moment, like it just triggered me to be like, well, I'm going to prove to you that I can be accurate with a recurve. Yeah. Um, but I, I've, I found this man, like, and I'm not, I'm not looking to, for anybody to call BS on me or, or start emailing me that I'm wrong or whatever, but if you put in work, I found that I can hit the same baseball at 20 yards with my recurve as I can my compound. Like, I can be yeah. accurate. Now, am I going to hit an aspirin at 30 yards? No. Am I going to hit a ping pong ball at 60? No. Uh, but can I put it in the same kill zone at 30 with both bows? Yes. Um, and so, man, I'll, I'll tell you what, what it is for me, though. The first time I took out hunting, I was, I, I told you about this off air. I was Havelina hunting in South Texas, literally like three miles from the border. And I had my recurve and the whole first day I didn't fire an arrow 
but that was the funnest hunt of my life. Like it was just, it felt different, you know? Yeah. Um, because I had a javelin at like 27 yards and I didn't, I was only like four months into this. I'm like, I'm not shooting 27 yards. Um, and just the, like the going back and forth, like I, I come to full draw like three times. Um, and it was just a blast, man. And I, it really truly, and this sounds stupid and this sounds cheesy, but it gave me back a love for hunting that I had lost. Um, just that pure raw excitement of hunting and getting close to an animal. It gave that back to me. Um, and so it's just, I tell people like, I'm not traditional only. I'm not compound only. I want to be, I want to hunt with both. I like hunting with both. I love shooting my compound still. Um, but just hunt with whatever's going to make you enjoy the hunt more. Like if you need to go out and, and, and kill animals for food or for, you know, in your case, a TV show, or what, like if you have to kill an animal, yeah, probably grab the, the, the compound. Um, but if you want to go out and just enjoy a hunt and, and, and enjoy watching animals and getting closer to animals, take your recurve. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for me, <clears throat> with the way our show is, I don't have to kill something, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, it, who knows if I'd be making a, a wise decision or not. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I don't have that pressure because that, be, that would be a lot of pressure. But I will say this, though. Two times this year... Um, two two verifying moments for me on the recurve i was in oklahoma and i had my compound and i shot a doe at 17 yards and as i was at full draw obviously i didn't spend minutes thinking about this but as i was at full draw i literally thought to myself i'm like i would feel better off shooting this with my comp my, my recurve i would feel more comfortable shooting this with my recurve because i had put so much time and effort into it and, and i knew that i could make that shot and I was like, I would feel more confident with my recurve. And that's when I knew I'm like, okay, I need to hunt more with my recurve. And then secondly, I was in Kansas and I have my compound and a nice buck comes in. And I sent a lot of videos of this buck to different people. And they're like, dude, why didn't you shoot that? And I'm like, well, if I would have had my recurve, I would have. And because uh, it was like eight yards. And I'm like, if I would have had my recurve, I would have. And so many people responded back like, then why take your compound? Like, if that's what compounds are to you now, why take it? And, uh, you know, meaning like if the compound is now the crutch to say like, oh, he's not big enough to shoot it with my compound, but you would have the joy of shooting with your recurve, then why take the compound? Yeah. Um, and so that's, those were two really defining moments in my season where uh, I, I ended up spending a lot more time with the recurve. So do you think you're going to be going all traditional then this year? No. Um, and again, uh, I kind of want to, but at the same time, I, like, I still enjoy hunting with my compound. Um, you know, I, I, I enjoy both. My purpose of switching to a recurve was not to be traditional only. Um, my purpose of switching to a recurve was to be a more well-rounded archer. So if I, if I go traditional only, then I'm being less well-rounded, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't, I don't want to limit myself. Now, last year was like 50, 50. Um, this year will probably be like 80, 20, 80% recurve, 20% compound. And I can tell you the compound hunts will probably be like doe hunts, um, you know, or hunts where it's a, I know I'm going to be shooting a management buck or something like that. Um, but, but again, I just enjoy hunting with the compound still. So yeah, I, I do believe that, that traditional will become my, my primary source of hunting. Yeah. The reason I asked that is just because I've decided I'm going full traditional and i think that all year 
everything, 100 percent time. Nice. So, like you mean like from well, here on out or for this year? Um, probably from here on out. But I don't want to say that that's set in stone. We'll have to see how it goes. But uh, why is that? Well, that's so. The reason for me is, you know, I've just I've been really blessed. You know, I've been able to do for my age. I've been got. I've gotten to do a ton of hunting and I've gotten to kill a lot of animals. You know, I'm like, uh, I keep a, a book of all of the animals I've ever been able to kill the locations, everything. So that I, you know, I don't ever forget anything, but it's just cool to be able to go back in that long and, and see that. And I think I'm up to like 70 or 75 animals with my bow at 26. And so I'm like, man, I'm freaking spoiled. And the last thing that I had that I just like really, really wanted to kill was a big bull. I just really wanted a big bull with my bow more than anything on earth. I love elk hunting. Just, I live to elk hunt. And so I just wanted one of those beautiful representation, you know, just a big bull. And, uh, I got really fortunate this year and killed a really good bull in Wyoming. He was, you know, just under 340. And one of the guys I was with actually killed his bull with a recurve at four yards. And so that was super awesome. And then I came back to Iowa and got really fortunate and killed a big deer. And so then for me, the reason I think the reason I'm going into it is after I killed that deer, um, I've killed three deer that are all 172. Every single one of them is like 172. And for me, I kind of always have to have like a goal or something I'm going after next. And so I felt like, okay, what is my goal now? What do I have to do next? You know, I don't, it's not that I'm trying to kill the biggest deer out there that I can. Um, but it was like, okay, I've hit the same mark three different times. And so I felt like I was in a position where, and I've had traditional, you know, floating around in my head for a while, but the main reason I hadn't done it is I'm an all in kind of guy. So if I was going to go traditional, I'm going all traditional. And I couldn't, I knew that if I went traditional and then I went on an elk hunt and I had a three thirty bull or whatever, a big bull come by at 40 yards and I couldn't shoot because I had a recurve that I don't think I would be able to sleep at night. Now, I don't know that, but knowing myself, I think it would just eat me alive because I wanted that big bull so bad. So now that I've been able to accomplish that goal, I don't care about that part as much anymore. Uh, and then for deer, I don't, I'm not the guy that's like, man, I want to kill 180 and 190 um, every year. And really that's where I felt like I was either. I need to be trying to if I'm going to try and continue to progress, then I either need to try to kill a bigger deer next year or I go traditional. And for me, I don't really care about killing the bigger deer. I just want to kill a mature deer and I don't care if he's 145 or, or 195. I mean, uh, I'm a mass guy anyways, like just the most massive deer I can find. That's what the one I want to stick my arrow in. <laughs> so I was like, all right, you know, I care. I don't care about trying to kill a bigger deer. I care more about hunting and, and that next challenge. And I feel as though traditional brings a whole new realm to it. Um, and something that, you know, is totally different. And then I really started looking at too. That's actually kind of how I got to that is I was looking through my book, right. And all of my whitetails, every buck I've killed, the furthest I've shot one is 30. My average range is like 17.5 or something like that. My three biggest deer was 25, um, six and six, both of them were at two, the last two were at six yards. I mean, right underneath me, it could have shot him with a recurve, could have shot my bull with a recurve. Probably he was 25 yards. I think that by September I'll be comfortable enough at 25 yards that I could make that shot. Um, 
And so to me, it was just the next progression. And I knew I was going to have to go all in. So I don't, I envy you. I, I don't think I could do like go to my compound and then go to my recurve and bounce back and forth like that, especially too, because I find myself at times when I get frustrated with the recurve, like, man, it would be nice to grab my compound right now, you know, cause I know I'd stick three in the center of that circle where the recurve's forcing me to progress right now. I have yeah. to figure out what that problem was and I have to fix it. Well, there's never, there's never that euphoric high with a compound. Like there's never that, Holy crap, I hit it. You know what I mean? Like, you're, when you're shooting a compound, you're either shooting good and you're satisfied or you're shooting bad and you're ticked off. Yes. With a recurve, you're either drilling it and you're like, dude, this is the greatest thing ever. Or you're shooting bad and you're like, okay, got to work on it, you know? Yeah. There's never that euphoric high with a compound. Um, I remember I had been like seven months into the recurve and I went and I got out my compound and my 3Ds in the backyard were all set up for shooting a recurve, so they're all like 30 and in. Um and I took, I have nine 3D targets. So I took out nine, tar nine arrows of my, my compound and they're all 30 yards and in. So they're literally punched in the center of the heart. And I'm like, all of them, you know, and I'm like, well, that was cool, I guess, you know? Right. Um, and that's what I'm like, why, why shoot a compound? Like why go out daily and shoot a compound when I can go out daily and fill that euphoric, holy crap. I just hit the antelope at 32 yards feeling, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I will say this though. You said you hope you can be at 25 yards by next year, depending on the way that you go. Um, as far as aiming, um, you'll find that my, I shoot the very best at 32 yards, um, better than I do at 12 because at 12, I'm holding the, the point of my arrow four feet under the deer. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm literally under his feet. And, and so it's like, it's really that muscle mind connection is just hard to reach because, you're aiming at a leaf three feet in front of his feet. Um, but at 32, I'm right below the target so I can dot the eye. So I hold it right under the belly and I'm hitting the, the, the kill spot. So I find that I shoot really good at 32. Um, Have you tried uh, the string walking? You know, I did. And uh, I shoot such a heavy arrow. Now that I, I used to string walk my first bow. Uh, I string walked because my point on was like 62 yards. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to shoot that. Um, now, now that I'm, I'm shooting a heavier arrow, I'm running like, um, let's see here. I'm changing it up for the new bear broadhead, uh, which is 175 grains and I'm running 45. So 220 out front. Um, so I'm running 220 out front when the new bear broadhead comes out. And, uh, and so my point on, like I said, is right under 32 and that's super good for me, uh, because then at 20, which is where most of my shots come, I'm right under the belly and, and, and I feel really comfortable with that. So um, I haven't string walked just because my point on is where I want it. Um, so I, I haven't had to with this, with the last two bow setups because I've shot a heavier arrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've, so I've been doing that. You know, I, I can't wait till we have a little better weather so I can get outside and play with it more, you know, and, and try more varying distances but I'm planning on, I'm, I'm comfortable enough right now that I can turkey hunt with it, but that's exactly what you just said. It was my concern is I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, a turkey isn't that big of a target, right? You know, I got, uh, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe like a little bit bigger than a softball or something to hit. And if I have to like aim at his, you know, his spurs almost or his legs, I think that's going to be really hard for me to, 
pick out that right spot. So that I didn't even know that, that that I was a string walker, I guess I was just messing around with the bow. You know, like I, I try to watch videos and stuff, but, um, and some of them are really helpful when it's an exact thing, but I just get bored. I'd rather just go play with something <laughs> and figure it out. And so I just started doing that, just moving my anchor down until I was able to pretty much put the arrow right underneath it. And then I was like, holy crap, I'm way more accurate like this. And I, yeah. I know I could, you know, if I have a turkey at 10 yards, I'm going to be able to put it right there. That's what, like, that's one thing I've noticed. If you try to explain that to a compound archer or someone who hasn't done traditional at all, they're like, oh, 10 yards, that should be an easy shot. And I'm like, well, if you are anchoring the same, you know, and, and you're having to aim at their feet, I think it's a lot harder than your point on, you know, because that's a, it's a little bit of a, an estimate no matter what you do. Right. Yeah. No. So are you, are you changing, are you string walking or are you changing your anchor point? I don't know. I don't know the terms yet. So basically I've taken serving, right. And I just tie a little knot on. So like 17 yards is all I can get out of the shop here. So I, at 17 yards, I've got a, an anchor, I guess. So I'm just moving my anchor, which gotcha. so I'm moving yeah. down to that where I have that serving tied. Yeah. So what is that called? That's string walking. That is string walking. Okay. And so then like, I've got another one, you know, for like 25 and then yeah. I think I've only gotten to shoot outside once. So I don't even know what my point on is yet. Right. Uh, and it's probably right about 30 from what I'm getting, but like, you know, in the shop at 17 yards, I know that my point on is right on that, that, that bottom serving that I have. And that's helped me a ton on my shooting. Um, but I Are do you find shooting it, a full length arrow. No, it's like probably 29 and a half or something like that. I'd have to measure it. So the longer your arrow, the closer your point on will be. Um, oh, right. <clears throat> so that's one thing I did used to, I, I was shooting a lighter arrow and it was cut to 29. Um, so it was, my point on was again, something ridiculous, like 63. Um, like something I was never going to shoot. Now I'm shooting a full length arrow. That's a lot heavier. So my point on is at 32, um, which I, 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 I really enjoy. Cause that's, I told myself anything inside my backyard is my effective range. Like I want to be able to, if it's the step in my backyard, I can shoot it. Um, and so that's for me, that's 32 yards uh, anywhere in my backyard. I've got three D set out from four yards to 32. So, that's what I told myself. And then my point on happened to be my max effective range. And I'm like, perfect. Like that's, that's what I wanted. Um, so that worked out for me. So I don't, I don't string walk on this bow, but I have on, on past bows. So how did you, so that's something I'm going to have to get way more into that I haven't done yet is I'm going to have to get into the tuning aspect a little bit more and the arrow setup and all that. Oh um, Lord. <laughs> that's why I haven't done much yet with it. Cause I know if it's like a compound, which I, in some terms, it seems as though it could be almost more complex than a compound. In my uh, opinion, it's way more complex. Um, okay. Well, um, it's simpler, but it's more complex. Meaning, like you can take any arrows and tune them to any compound, essentially. I mean, unless they're way overspined or way underspined. Like I can't yeah. tune my wife's 600 spine arrows to my 70 pound bow. But I don't, you know, as far as, as weight goes, you know, changing 125 grains out front to a hundred grain out front or an inch on your arrow, inch off your arrow, like all those things, like you can tune a bow to, um, however, with a comp or with a recurve, you've really got to tune that bow to those arrows. So like, you've got to look at, you know, if it's cut out of center or, or past center, you've got to look at 
the length of the arrow, the the tip weight, the knock height, the brace height, like, and then you're really tuning that arrow to that bow. Um, and, and I was, I'll tell you what, what kind of set me off on this. Like, I really enjoy tuning a recurve. Is I had 400 spine. Um, they're a deer crossing archery silencer shaft. I had 400 spine, and there was like a, I don't know, say 175 out front. This is all just an example. And then I had a 400 spine uh, hunter from Deer Crossing Archery, and there was like 120 grains out front. I don't remember the exact numbers. Um, and they, that's, there was some odd like 55 grain difference on the front. And that's substantial, but they both flew the like darts. And I'm like, man, that's cool. And so at first, I'm like, tuning recurves are easy. Like, this is all right. good. But then I had a bow. Well, this bow here. This is the mag riser, which I got it out to show you something on, and I will in a minute. But this bow was so finicky on the tune. I was running the deer crossing archery silencers, same 400 spine, same draw length, same weight on this bow. Um, I, but the, it was so finicky, like down to like the, I was cutting off an eighth of an inch on my arrow and adding five grains out front and then finally got it to tune. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. Like it took me a week to tune this bow. Um, so how so some. Um, just adding length, uh, take or take, like, are you, are you just shooting it into the target and seeing like which way it, it kicks or you actually like paper tune it? You're doing the target way. Uh, yes. And now target way is, is kind of, it can lie to you. Like just because your knock is left doesn't mean it's always weak. It could be too stiff and you're bouncing off the shelf to get the left. Um, so I do a lot of slow motion videos. So I'll put my phone up on my deck over my shoulder. That way I can see the way the arrow is flying out of the bow. Um, So you can see, you know, just because you're getting knock high doesn't mean your, your, your knock actually is too high. It could be that it's so low that it's, that it's kicking up. So the problem with this bow that was, that was making me so mad, I had a bear shaft flight that was perfect. I could shoot bear shafts out to 30. Um, And then I fletched them and I was getting wild kicks. Well, it was like so perfectly tuned that the fletchings were getting kicked. Uh, so the fletchings were contacting the riser and kicking the, the, the arrow. Um, and so I called a couple buddies and, and Tom Clum was like, well, you want to tune your bear shafts a bit weak and high um, because a, a tiny bit just to give your fletchings enough room. And this is uh, using the target method? Yes. He was like, you okay. so perfectly tuned your arrows that your bear shafts that now your your fletchings because when you fletch your arrows it will stiffen adding weight to the back of your arrow will stiffen your spine um so you have the fletchings. A, do what just the fletchings will make it stiffer yeah adding any weight to the back of your arrow so adding right. a wrap in veins uh, or a wrap in feathers uh will stiffen your arrow not not tremendously um but it'll stiffen them enough but but like i said it was just so perfectly tuned that i was adding enough weight to then make that arrow too stiff um, and so just little things like that. I'm like, man, it's such a, a finicky art. And, and, and I'll tell you what, it's given me back the joy of like going to my man cave and just tinkering, like just playing with bows because now, I mean, with a compound, you, you have it tuned in, in an hour and you're going to shoot, but I find myself all the time playing with knock height, brace height, finding different weights on the front of my bows to see if it's going to shoot better or worse. And, just all the time tinkering with something. And uh, it's given me that that fun back. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Well, see, and that's where you're definitely way further down the road than I am. Cause I'm at the point right now too, where I'm still just, I'm trying to keep it as simple as I can and focus on nothing but me, you know, yeah. which I think that it's kind of interesting because you do that with a compound too. And you realize that as much as we get in depth into it, once we understand what we're doing, it really does just come back to the basics, right? Like right. I could have an arrow even that's kicking like crazy and I can still get it to shoot a pretty good group. Now I'm sure yeah. that it would fall apart as it got out there. Uh, but so like right now I'm, I've decided, you know, I'm going to just focus on myself first and getting to where I know that I can sh- just like a compound. If your shooter has no idea what they're doing, you're never going to be able to get that boat tune. You know, it's still, <laughs> you're still gonna get arrows that kick. You're going to have torque, you know, it's still gonna be a problem. So I'm trying to j- just focus on me and get myself to the point where I know, you know, when I release that arrow that I've done everything correct. And that I know the difference in that in a in a bad shot because right now I can tell you I still have uh, I mean I'm only like a month into this so I still can't always sure there's shots where I'm like man that felt good you know like that one was yeah. right that was that felt good and then I have other ones where I still felt like it was good and it's nowhere near and then I I also have ones you know where I'm like man that was that was bad you know that wasn't even close uh, but so I texted you about that knock high issue I was having you know. Mm-hmm. That one was just driving me nuts because I could see it, you know, yeah. kicking on. Um, and so what I did is same thing, slow-mo video. I actually sent you one of the videos, I think. Yeah. And so we'll see what you think because you know more than I do. I don't know if I should have. I saw somebody, I think, said that you should have, you know, put another knocking point underneath that knock to try and keep that arrow more stable. So yes. that because what I was getting is you know, you asked, you said, is it knock high or whatever? And and I messed with the knock height and moved it all over and it was doing the same thing. So basically what it was doing is that when it would come out of that, come out of the bow, it, it, there was so much flex in that arrow that it was hitting the riser and then it was just kicking up kicking super up. bad. Yeah. Like no matter what, you could see the flex in the arrow that it didn't really matter what you did with the knock height. It was, it had too much flex. So I should have tried tying a knock point on there, but I just took a, a heavier spine arrow that went to a 400 which I'm only pulling 40. So it's probably over spined. But as soon as I did that, I mean, just a dart, you know, flew perfect. And that's one thing. 28, 28 and a half. Okay. So, um, it could be too stiff, but I, but it was when I I went to the slow-mo video, you know, that arrow, it had a little flex, but nothing like it was, it wasn't kicking way off of that shelf. Like the other ones were, um, which is what gave me that idea. I was like, maybe if I go a little stiffer, then it will make that arrow where it doesn't have so much flex and it's not kicking like that off the shelf. So that's one thing I want to say though, that I love about the recurve that I've realized so far is the flight. You know, you really get to watch the flight of the arrow where with your compound, you know, even you don't get to really see that even at like 60, it gets far enough away that unless you're shooting, you know, closer to dark and have a light knock, you don't necessarily get to watch that arrow as much where seeing your, being able to see your arrow fly into where you want to hit is pretty freaking cool. You know, you said, man, I, I'm envious of, well, let me, let me tell you, I've been holding this bow to tell you this. Shout out to Fred Eichler. He gave me this tip and it's changed my life. You were talking about silencers and beaver balls. This is a piece of moleskin, like from Walmart. So it's a yeah. pack of it's a pack of three for like a buck fifty. Yeah. Um, and, and you only use one pad for one bow, so you literally do like six bows for a buck fifty. Um, but you literally just cut a piece and tape it on like that, and it makes your bow so much quieter. 
moleskin. It goes like halfway up into the groove where your string would rest. Okay. Um, and, and so, yeah, you just cut it to, to taper with your bow and makes your bow so much. I had a friend. I had a friend come over to the house and he's like, dude, my bow's just so loud. And I'm like, come on. I got some moleskin in the basement. He's like, dude, there's no way this is going to fix like how loud it is. And I'm like, well, first off, your brace height's probably not correct. So let's work on that. And uh, I got a decibel reader app on my phone. And so we just played with his, his brace height and got his his bow like six decibels quieter just by adjusting his brace height. And then we added moleskin and it went down like another four. So in like 20 minutes, his bow got 10 decibels quieter. That's uh. so let me ask you this on, on brace height. When you're adjusting that brace height, right? Twist in mean that it's going to move, make your brace height longer. Twist into the string, right? Um, yes. Adding twist will make it longer. Does it matter if you take twists and put them into the top or into the bottom? Or do you need to do that equally? Like, could you just take the top, you know, the top string, I guess, and put three or four twists into that? Or do you also need to do the same with the bottom? Um, that probably matters more than I make it matter. Um, I was actually wondering that myself just the other day. And here's the best conclusion. I, and I have not talked to anybody about this yet. I have not asked anybody yet. I have not. But pretty much when you put the string back on the bow, it's going to pull that the stretch out. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't just add twists here. Like, it's going to eventually just pull through the string. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, an equal amount of pressure on it. Right. And so but what I, I do... You know, it could be a little bit more on one limb than the other. Yeah. So, so basically, if I'm doing like one or two twists, I just do it on one. Doesn't matter. Uh, if like when I got the new bow and the brace height was on like six and a quarter and I'm like, I got to add 30 twists to this. That's when I did it equal. Um, and, and I basically just twisted it together like this. You know what I mean? Um, that because I was adding in before do what you've put in like 30 twists before. I, I mean, I didn't count, but, but I'm just giving like an example. Like when I get to fine tuning a bow, I just do the top and I just, cause I'm only adding half a twist in to take yeah. away a tiny touch of brace height. But if I have to do five or six twists, then I might consider doing top and bottom. But I really haven't, I I was wondering the same thing just the other day, but I just thought to myself, I'm like, I'm twisting it up here, but I'm really twisting the entire string. Um, So I, I don't know. Good question. Um, we'll have to ask somebody. I really, I'm going to have to, I think, you know, I'm just trying to get a base and then I'm going to have to get somebody like yourself or Kenny or somebody to come out here and, or I'm going to have to go to them and just have them give me a class for a day or two, you know, just to be able to go over a bunch of that stuff. Cause like, you know, you're talking on some of these bows, that brace height, even in the manual, it says they can vary by an inch. Yeah. That's a lot of twists, you know? Yeah. Um, so here's what Fred Eicher told me, get your bow out and, uh, started at something general seven and a half, shoot that bow. And it, it's easier with a friend, but that's why I got the decibel reader app because then I wouldn't be wrong and see how that bow shoots. See if it's loud. See if you hear a slap, see if you hear, and he's like, there will be a brace height in which that bow just flat out shoots way quieter and way better. So start at seven and a half, go a couple twists out, shoot it again. Did it get quieter? Did it get louder? If it got louder, go back the other way. If it gets quieter, keep going until it gets louder um, and find where that bow performs the best. And so I start every bow at eight and, uh, and then I'm going to, well, depending on that's where most of, of bears are recommended. But, um, 
And then I'll take, you know, two or three twists out, shoot it again, two or three twists out, shoot it again, two or three twists up and shoot it again. Um, and just find where it shoots the quietest at. And I, like I said, I have that decibel reader app and, uh, and I'll just mark, okay, eight and a quarter. It was the quietest. And that's where I run the bow app. Um, I'm going to have to try that decibel reader app, huh? I actually did a video on my Instagram um, just yesterday about it, but it's called Decibel X is the one I use. Um, and you can see it just reads, it just reads your decibels. Um, and so when you, when you shoot the bow, it's going to give you a, a peak and show yeah, you that, perfect. that peak. Um, and so I just monitor, I will, I will say this, I learned the hard way I was doing it in my basement, which your shop would probably, 17 yards is enough, but at, uh, in my basement, I can shoot to like seven. And so the loudest it was picking up was the arrow hitting the target, not my bow shooting. And so every time it was like about the same and I'm like, it's not changing at all. And, uh, and then I realized I'm a little too close to my target in my basement and it's getting that thump of my target, not the, cause it only records like the loudest peak of that, of that recording or whatever. So, right. We're breaking all the trad rules. We're using decibel readers to on our recurves. <laughs> you know what's funny is in that video, I did that video and uh, I said that. I'm like, listen, Fred, if this makes you mad, I'm sorry, man. Um, but I don't have a buddy here to help me, so I got to use the app. Uh, but well, I thought the same thing. We got to bring a little bit of the young guy uh, vibe into it. Some of the young, uh, some of the technical aspect of things, like watching slow mo videos and stuff. Cause I had, I had one guy tell me that already, you know, uh, I think traditional hunters get a bad rap sometimes. You know, everybody says that they're kind of can be a little dramatic, right? Which not, I'm sure not all, but I will say some, like I had one guy already, uh, telling me that basically if you're going to aim that you shouldn't even shoot a recurve, you know, that you should just shoot instinctual because that's the right way. And I'm like, man, I got a hard time believing that, you know, the, I understand the whole goal is that like you're staying simple and you're getting to the basics. But if I was an Indian, you know, and I knew that I had a more accurate way that it gave me a better chance of killing that deer and feeding my tribe, just because I moved my finger down and I used the end of my arrow to aim, I would have no problem with that. And I would bet Indians did that too. So it's just funny to me that some of the stuff, if you're trying to be more accurate and you're not doing it one specific way, then they, then some people don't like that, but that's with anything. So it's not just those guys. I've got two problems with that. A is nobody is fully instinctual. Like you, no way. Do I not start, I don't start emailing me. Don't start. Let me explain first. Everybody wants to use the term analogy of baseball and just throwing a ball. Well, no matter what, Baseball players, pitchers have different things they do to throw the ball differently. Um, they four-seam it. They two-seam it. They, you know, to throw a knuckleball, they do different things. They look at certain places. They want to, th- you know what I mean? They, with the swing yeah. of their hand, the whatever. Um, same with a basketball shooter. Basketball shooters practice repetition over and over and over again and where to, you know, the flick of their wrist and, and where they look at the back of the rim or whatever. Um, same with traditional um, instinctive shooters, you have a sight picture that you're looking for. Now you don't say, think to yourself, okay, I got to hold the tip three inches under whatever, but you have a sight picture that you're looking at. You've just looked at that sight picture so many times that you, that you repeat it. So it's not a, Oh, I'm just fully 100% instinctive. You've just practiced that sight picture enough to know what you're looking for. 
Um, so that's my biggest issue. And then the guy that I learned from Harvey Ebers, he's 85. He's, he's as traditional as they come. And I'm not going to tell you what he said because I, I will make a lot of traditional archers mad. Um, but basically just those guys are all stuck in their ways and there's no way they, they can't be as accurate as they want to be because they're not doing it correctly. And I'm like, Oh dang. <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah. And and he literally, I mean, he is from that crowd. He was like, I used to live that. And then I realized he went to Joel Turner and Tom Clum and did their, their courses and everything. He's like, and then I realized like, Oh heck, I can't execute a good shot. Like all we do is pull back and shoot. Well, you can't be accurate that way. Yeah, you, you can't. I mean, you can't be, you can't hit a tennis ball. I mean, again, I, I don't want to make anybody mad. Um, I think you're right though. Cause I've seen a couple guys that, you know, I remember one guy specifically on a hunt and you know, his first arrows at 15 yards even were all over the place. But by his like third round, he was pretty good. You know, he was stacking them in there and I'm like, that's gotta be just your subconscious mind coming up with the sight picture, right? He's adjusting. But when you haven't, you know, you were on the road or whatever out to wherever you're hunting, you know, you didn't, you didn't shoot for two days or something like that. You still got to get your mind, something to reference, especially on a different target or, or whatever the scenario may be. You have to, there has, there's no matter what you're subconsciously, you have to be aiming to some extent. Now, whether you're anchoring it and trying to pick an exact spot that you're aiming or you're just trying to do that with a site. I don't know enough about all different ways yet. Uh, but to me, it's stupid to say that just because you're trying to maximize accuracy that you're not, um, you know, there's no point in doing traditional. You might as well put pins on it. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've had guys say that about trad veins. Um, if you're not going to shoot a feather, then, you know, I've had guys say, if you put a, a, a rest on your bow and I'm like, for real, like, See, now this is to the point. Now we're talking about the things that turn people off from traditional altogether um, and turn people off from archery altogether. Is like, quit being so closed off to everybody else just because they don't do it the way you do it. And, and, and we wonder why we push so many people away from the sport when we treat people like that. Yep. Well, and, and everybody, I don't care what it is, you, everybody does things a little bit different. There's going to be things that work for one person that don't work for somebody else. Uh, you know, and, and you got to find what those are for yourself. That's part of the reason I don't watch too many videos unless, until I find those specific things that I, I want to try to do is I'm trying to kind of figure out what works for me. What, what can I do? Yeah. And what do I understand? Um, and then I'm like, okay, well now I know that this is a problem for me. I need to try to fix this. And I go and I look for that certain thing. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Before we move on, let me give a quick thank you to my friends over at Selway Archery on the topic of of traditional archery they are in my opinion the best traditional quivers that you could ever buy for your recurve longbow or self-bow they also work with bear archery to have their selway quiver which is a beautiful bear archery branded quiver um, it's a slide-on quiver which in case you're wondering the benefits of a slide-on it goes around your limb and so it acts as a dampener as well it helps quiet the bow down as well um, i'm a huge fan of selway i have some incredible got a razorback branded one that i run on my on my uh on my bow that i named tusk i've got a a pope and young branded one and uh they're i mean they are phenomenal quivers so go check out selway archery for all your traditional archery quiver needs um i'm anxious to know what was the biggest how long this is a, you're a month in about yeah about a month or so what's the biggest thing you've you've learned and taken away already um 
you got to be super, super detailed. It seems as though it's simple, but I've realized I got to be extremely detailed. If I don't, uh, it's as simple as if I don't come into my anchor point the exact same every time that my site picture is different and I miss, you know, four or five inches to the left or to the right. Uh, back tension, I believe, matters with a recurve way more than it does with a compound. Um, at least my personal opinion. You guys can't see it there listening to this, but Dylan can see it. Probably I got this cut on my nose. You see what that cut there? And that I've had them. So I don't know. We'll see how you mitigate it, but it was driving me nuts. And so what I'm talking about is as I was focusing on pulling through the shot, basically my my pointer finger would hit my nose. And so the thing that I've realized too, and it's been really in the last week that I've picked up on this and it's made a huge difference for me, is my hook. So I'm really curious to see what you have to say about this, right? So my hook or my grip, whatever the heck you're supposed to de- technically call it, when I'm putting my fingers on the string, that if I'm trying to hold that too tight, my shots are terrible. Because even though I may you know, truly use back tension and that shot breaks, I'm left or I'm right. And, you know, I'm, and I think guys call it plucking the string. You know, I can feel that and I can feel it all through. It affects my entire shot. So I have to be every time that I put my fingers on that string, I'm really, really conscious about trying to make them as relaxed as possible and stay on the string. And then I can literally feel it as I'm pulling through them, it like sliding through my fingers until that shot breaks. And when I get that, I mean, it's like, yeah, that felt good. That was really clean. But I, I noticed if I don't think about that one specific thing every time, it messes it all up for me. So I uh, I went through about a week of only working on my hook. And uh, and I was sending Tom so many videos. And dude gets tired of me. I can promise you that. Um, yeah. So basically, you've got three different styles. I started off with a very shallow hook. Um, meaning the string was on the fr- first pad of all three of my fingers. Yep. Now, what happens is you have a really clean release that way, but then all of the pressure for that is in your wrist and your forearm, um, which, again, when you talk about coming into back tension, that's not good because now you're you're changing your shot with with this, um, your, your forearm and your wrist. Um, and then a lot of guys go super deep hook, which the, another one of my kind of instructors, mentors, recommended a super deep hook which is behind the first knuckle on all of your fingers. Now, the problem with that is you can really rotate it over your your shoulder and into your back really well, but now you've got so much finger that has to come off that string. Um, and, and and like you said, it just takes so much more time and your the string runs through more meat of your finger and you can therefore mess it up more. And so what I run is um, what's called a, a mid hook or a medium hook. So... If you can picture this, um, well, you can. I've, I've got video. Um, so on my first knuckle, well, this is going to be difficult. Um, so on my first knuckle, I want it right in front like of that first knuckle. Um, yeah. And then on my middle finger, I want it right behind that first knuckle. And then on the, the third finger, I run it again on the first knuckle, but kind of in the pad of my finger. Um, and that causes, that gives you the best of both worlds. You can rotate it as you're not holding it in your bicep and your forearm. You can rotate it over, uh, because all the pressure is not, you know, right there on the tips of your fingers. Um, but then you don't have so much meat to come off your fingers. Um, so that's, I started running it that way. And so basically what, uh, what I just showed him is that if you run that, if you just find a pencil or a, a string or something, 
and run it across your hand with your fingers completely flat. It's going to go in front of your first knuckle, behind your, your first knuckle, and then in front of your first knuckle again. And that's how I hook my string. Now, I also have what's called a high wrist, um, which I'll send you the video that I saw on it. But basically, keeping your, your, your wrist, instead of like sinking in, letting it flop around, keep that high wrist, and that's really going to, again, pull it out of your forearm and rotate it into your back. Um, and so that's, that's how I do it. And then I never consciously, which I don't have to tell you this, I'm just hearing you talk, I don't have to tell you this. I never think about my release. All I think about is pull, 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 pull. And then I have a trigger. And for me, that's a clicker. For some, that's a feather to the nose or whatever. Um, and my fingers just relax and, and they come off the string. So I've always heard, I've heard several guys say, imagine somebody's holding a golf ball right here over this shoulder and you want to try to catch that off your shoulder. Um, so you're pulling it straight behind you. And then what you're going to do is if you're doing that, your fingers will never like open because you're trying to catch this. So, so your fingers will just release so you can catch the ball. That it's kind of a, I mean, I don't know if that's cheesy or, or, you know, it gave me a way, a way to think about it though. Yeah. Do you, so when you're actually putting your fingers on the string though, are you, uh, you know, are you kind of, are they tense or are they really relaxed? They're tense. They're tense. Okay. Yeah. yeah I've had to kind of relax mine. And that, you know, like I said, this is just all in the learning process for me, which is interesting to hear you state that too, on how you're actually putting your fingers on there. Uh, just because like one way that I found is if I do have too much, if I have my stringer, my fingers too tight on that string, I'll get that where when it, the shot breaks, you know, my hand comes out away from my body, Gotcha. Yeah. you know, and it feels crappy and I can feel it almost catching on my fingers, the string, um, where and this could be too, probably just because you've been shooting longer and you may be a little more relaxed than you think. Cause you're able to get those fingers to relax, right? right. My fingers are like thinking I have to hold on to that string, you know, don't let the string go. So I do still have to subconsciously, I'm, or I'm still consciously thinking about my release right now because I'm trying to make sure that it's correct. But I do find too, that when I have my, the, what I feel is though probably the correct pressure on there and I pull straight through my air, my hand goes, you know, right to my, yeah shoulder exactly um, so that's what's nice about it too is there's those things that are checks and balances i can say okay that one was good you know that one was whack that one was good um but you know i think once i can establish a shot process like you talked about earlier then i'll be really excited to see how it goes no i i was gonna say the same thing so like when i set up my hook like i told you i, ha I think about my grip i think about my hook like i think about like i go into my hook like this like anchored up and and stiffened up but but you're probably right. Once I switch over to my anchor, it, you know, I'm not saying like I'm death gripping my string. Right. Um, my my grip on the string is not stiff, but my hook is stiff. If that makes sense. Yeah 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 yeah. Like so, the string is resting in my fingers. Um, I don't I don't know how to say that in a in a weak way. I don't I don't know. Uh, but my hook itself is stiff, and the reason why is because like before I ever draw my bow back. I feel the pressure of my string in each finger uh, because I want the majority of the pressure on my middle finger. Um, and then I want, you know, say it's 50 on my top, actually 60, 30, and 10. Like, so I think about that before I ever draw my bow back. That way the weight of the string is distributed in a good, in a, in a, in a, in the correct manner. 
Yeah. So then when I get to full draw, that didn't change. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining this correct at all. Yeah. But I just keep my hand in a in a in a stiff manner, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I never even thought about keeping my wrist rigid. Um, which I that would make complete sense too on a clean shot break, you know, that you have some foundation to be able to pull off of. Are you using a glove or are you using a tab? Tab. And it changed my life. Um I I I was shooting a glove at first and uh you know, I don't know if it was just a buddy or I don't know if it was actually um, Tom or some, I don't remember who it was, but they were like, you got to try a tab. And, uh, and I did, and I shot way better, just a cleaner break, cleaner release, um, better distribution of the string weight across your hands. You yourself can't, you know, maneuver it as much. And so you have a cleaner break, uh, better, better weight distribution. And uh, I find that I found that I got a lot better arrow speed um out of it really yeah i think i'm gonna have to try a tab uh so when you are when you anchor are you actually feeling your your flesh of your finger or is it something on that tab um what did say it again so when you're anchoring are you with the tab are you actually feeling like flesh on flesh or is it you know the material of the tab so like when i anchor right now i'm using a glove i feel you know, that glove in my, in the corner of my lip, but it's, it's just not, it's not that precise because it's, I can't so, tell in which part of the material it is. I, I changed my anchor, but before I did, um, somebody told me like your lip can move a lot. Um, you know, just cause it's in the corner of your mouth, you can go up, down, side, pull it back more yeah. over. So find a hard bone, a tooth. Um, so I went to my, to the, vampire tooth whatever it's called the i9 yep. or whatever um so, or whatever i think yeah no. so when i was anchoring that way i was putting the tip of my finger on that tooth because that tooth can't move um that that tooth is your where it's finger at or your middle finger but either one but it was my it was yeah. my pointer finger but whatever i mean whatever's working for you um have you been using your middle finger yeah it's a good thing people don't see us on this podcast. We're we're over here playing with our <laughs> fingers in our mouths and stuff. So that's going to cause you. Uh, I would continue to use your middle finger then because that's a higher anchor. It gets your it gets your knock closer to your eye, which is good for your point on. Yeah, um, that's why so, I started doing that is because it helped me a exactly. ton being able to move that arrow up closer. Yes. So continue to do your middle finger. Just t- take it to that tooth instead of a lip because your lip will change. Um, depending on which way you pull on it, your tooth won't. Um, I changed my my anchor to be, I make a C with my hand and then I put it behind my jawline. So that's mine. Okay. And and I found the reason I did that is because the tip of my finger still hit the corner of my mouth right there. Um, so I still kind of had two points of anchor um, with the the tip of my finger and the C, the C behind my jawline. And it was just yeah. a really st- steady anchor. But... You know, just like a compound, find find an anchor that's going to work for you. You know, what's going to work for me is not going to work for the next guy, and what's going to work for you is not going to work for me. And you know, it's all different. So just find whatever is going to work for you. Are you shooting one eye open or or one eye or uh, both eyes open? You're going to get me in trouble here, man. Why is that? So, by the way, I did just forward you a video on on Instagram of the high wrist, um, on how to how why to have a high wrist. Um, okay. that's Tom Clum, owner of 
uh, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear. He's one of the top-ranked recurve coaches in America. Um, I shoot one eye closed. And the reason I said you're going to get me in trouble is because like 50,000 people have told me. So I'm right eye, I'm right hand dominant, but I'm left eye dominant. So to shoot anything, I've got to close my left eye. And I've had like 50,000 people say, you've got to switch to left-handed, you'll shoot better. You've got to switch left-handed, you'll shoot better. I know that. I'm just too scared and I'm too big of a chicken. I just learned how to shoot a recurve right hand. I don't want to switch. Um, so I have to to close my left eye in order to have a good sight picture. If not, I'm looking at the arrow, you know, at a complete wrong angle. So I've got to close my left eye. You shoot your compound with one eye open? I've got to close everything. I've got to close rifle shotgun anything um because again like if you're if you swing your barrel up on a on a shotgun most guys keep them both open because they're looking down the barrel with their dominant eye which is their right but myself if i don't close my left i would be looking at the barrel at a at an angle because i'd be looking my left eye right so no matter what i'm shooting i have to close my left eye yeah and that's not yeah. good like nobody don't 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 ever don't anybody be like oh dylan closes one eye. that's not good um well that's an eye dominance thing though yeah you know like my brother and my mom are both that way they're both they do everything else right-handed but they're left eye dominant and they do shoot their bows left-handed um so i'd agree with the other fifty thousand people you at some point you may want to look into it just because like what my what would happen to my mom you know is she would shoot really good you know when she was using her right eye and then she would forget one time you know, and she'd miss by feet. Uh, but that's besides the point for me is what I'm finding out is my right and left. I don't seem to be as accurate if I shoot with both eyes open as when I shoot with, when I close my left eye, just because I line that arrow up better. Um, now I don't know if there's a way to, I'm sure there is a way to mitigate that. I don't know if most guys that are trying to be really accurate are keeping both eyes open because I shoot my compound and everything else with both eyes open. And I, and I shoot way better that way, but I've noticed with the recurve, I shoot a lot better with one eye closed. Yeah. I don't know. And, and I, I can't speak to it only because I, I have a, I have a different issue, you know? Um, right. Like if I, if I leave both eyes open and shoot my re, my compound, I'm sorry, my recurve, I'm going to shoot like five inches, five, uh, probably two feet to the left just because I'm looking at it completely sideways. Um, now, at first, I had this, I had a bow that was so far cut past center, outside of center, um, that I could shoot my left eye and hit where I needed to, but that's not good because then the bow was just incredibly <laughs> untuned. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't really speak to that because I'm in a different situation there. Right. I'm sure somebody will reach out and let us know. Yeah. Well, um, I'm curious to know, um, what's your first hunt coming up? with the recurve turkeys what state nebraska nebraska yeah how many turkeys are you going to kill with your recurve this year <laughs> well i mean i'm going to try to kill like five or six but uh i'll be happy with one or two you know um we're gonna so i'm gonna try and kill three in nebraska we got a pretty good spot over there and so well and you know as a non-resident you can shoot three so we'll just see if we get three shots, you know, I'll try and kill three over there and then I'll try, 
I've never really tried to kill two in Iowa. Usually our birds here, it's like you got one week and then they get really educated. So if you don't kill them in that first week, then they're super tough to hunt. Um, but now with the recurve and wanting to, you know, try and kill some stuff with the recurve, I'll probably try to kill two with my recurve here. And then, uh, I haven't really planned on going anywhere else, but I might, I might throw in one flyer somewhere. Um, but I would, I'd love to go a hundred percent on turkeys, but I have a hard time doing that with my compound. So I don't know how well that'll go with the recurve either. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, man, it's just. It's one of those deals where as I've made the switch, it's things keep coming up where I'm like, should have just had the recurve. Like, um, and I'm like you, I don't shoot at whitetails past 30, no matter if I have a compound or not. Um, so well, I mean, yeah, why not just take that. the recurve? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. When you're already putting so much time into it anyways, you know, yeah. that's, that's where I think it'd be hard to go. The recurve, you know, you just have to put that much time into it in order to get where you're good enough like that that's something I've, i have not been willing to i knew when i decided i was going to switch to a recurve that i wasn't willing to sacrifice accuracy i wasn't going to say hey okay now i'm willing to um shoot in an animal if i can only hit you know make groups that are 12 inches i wasn't going to do that you know so if i can only get to the point where i can only shoot 15 yards and that's all that i'm effective at that's all i'm going to shoot out to yeah. now that's why i'm going to immerse myself into it because i don't want to be i don't want to be you know, handicapped to 15 yards. I want to be able to shoot to 30 yards if I can. Uh, but I got to make sure that I can get to that accuracy wise. And so the best way for me to do that is just to completely commit to it and go hundred percent all in. Um, so turkeys yeah. I'm excited about, I think the one thing I will say too, that I really enjoy with recurve, just like you said, with your compound, if you shoot bad, it just takes you off. Right. And you have so much equipment on your compound that then you're constantly questioning your stuff. Is there something wrong? Like you could be two inches left at 40 and you're like, man, I can't hit the broadside of a barn today, you know, and you're all angry about it. Where with the recurve, you know, at least for me, it's been like, if I have like a softball type group, I'm really happy with that, you know, and the, there's nothing, you know, it's not the bow because <laughs> there's nothing on the bow for it to, to mess up. So you know that it's you, which I think in turn will make you a better shot. Now yeah. I will say for me, the thing I'm most concerned about, I'm going to get a 3d target in here soon is I usually need a group or two to be really accurate, you know, and I want to make sure that I can one arrow, I know exactly where I need to put it and it's going to go right there, which is still just an evolution of getting better and understanding what I'm doing. I'm sure, but I want to get to that point, you know, where I don't have to have a warm up shot or two. Right. Yeah, it just takes that time, man. Uh, I mean, I don't even remember how long it, it took me to get there. Um, and then it got to the point where I was practicing cold shots. So in the morning, I would go out and just shoot one arrow. Um, and then in the evening, I would shoot for reps. Um, because, like you said, I had to force myself into being able to make that one shot. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely takes time and effort to get there. Like you said, though, you just have to find where am I effective at. And if that's 20 yards, that's 20 yards. Um, and I'm not going to shoot further than that. And if that's, but like, like we've talked about, man, like we have alluded to, you've killed two booners at six yards. You've killed a giant bull at where at 25 yards. Like most dudes can work with a, a recurve for a year and get to that point. Like you can, oh, yeah. um, yeah. it's just the question of, do you want to, like, do you have the work ethic to do it? Um, because it is a full immersion, like 
I, I constantly am reading and looking up and, and watching videos and, and, and just constantly because I want to, I want to do it and I want to do it well. Um, so it's just, it's up to you. I mean, if you want to do it, you can do it. If not stick to your compound. Yep. And you can be accurate with them. I mean, that's, I think that's kind of a misconception is I hear a lot of people, you know, that they're like, man, you're gonna have to give up so much, you know, you're not gonna be able to shoot past, you know, 15 yards. And for what I've been able to shoot within a month, I'm pretty confident I'm gonna be able to shoot to 25, 30 yards. But you, you know, like you said, you just have to immerse yourself into it. And especially once I get to the point where I'm ready to start looking at the tuning aspect of everything, um, as long as you give yourself the ability to figure it out, you can shoot well with it. But the one thing I would say is don't overbow yourself. So I'm a bigger guy. I'm 210 pounds and I like to think that I lift a lot. I'm pretty strong, but I'm telling you right now, a 50 pound recurve is a man bow when you haven't been shooting a recurve because you've got no let off. Yeah. So like I, that's why I'm starting with 40 just because that really gives me the ability to make sure that I'm focusing more on, on my form and how my shot is executed than just trying to, hold the bow. Right. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, that's the number one tip that I would give anybody getting into it is don't overbow yourself. Um, even start with a 20 pound. I mean, it doesn't matter. Start with something to where you can develop a shot process and do it correctly and not overbow yourself. And then you work yourself up as those muscles develop. And as your shot process develops, then work your way up to a hunting weight. Now, 40 pounds is, is a hunting weight. Um, you could you can certainly kill turkeys with that. Um, you know, back on the the note about the accuracy deal, I had a friend over the other night, and I'm not saying I'm I'm some great shot um, by any means, but I had a Delta McKenzie, just a little block target at 20 yards, and we were shooting, and and uh, he alluded to yeah, but I like accuracy, whatever he said. Um, I just can't get over losing accuracy, something along those lines. And to close the night, we've been shooting 3Ds all night, but to close the night, I'm like, man, I want to shoot that block target. And I did this on purpose. I'm like, I want to shoot that block target real quick before we go in. And I just shot two arrows. It was at 20 yards. And I shot two arrows. And at the center of the target, it was a, you know, a two-inch circle. And and I said, well, hey, man, why don't you shoot two, you know? Finish it off with two, you know? And first, he like, thought I was being weird, which I was. And so he shot, and his arrows were touching each other, like right in the center of the of the bullseye. Mine was, you know, one in the bullseye over here, one in the bullseye up here. All all four arrows in the center of this target and a two-inch circle. And so we get up there and I'm like, man, you know, that's that's smaller than a deer heart. And uh, I said, we both stacked two arrows in there. I said, sure, yours are touching and yours are in the very dead center, but all four arrows are in the, in the bullseye of this target. So why is mine so inaccurate? And he was just like, huh, you know, that's yeah. a good point. And, uh, and I'm like, again, sure, you hit the Advil and I hit the bullseye, but we both hit the bullseye we were aiming at. Like, yeah. End of discussion. Right. Yeah. And you may have another group where, you know, maybe his is in the top and in the bottom and you got two touching. Yeah. Because I've, you know, I've had some shots, some groups, I guess, where, you know, everything feels right and you can stack three arrows in there together too with a recurve. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. It's been a lot of fun. And I think that it, it to me it's brought back a lot of the fun in archery because I'm not trying to get myself to hit a quarter at 40 yards, you know. 100%. Yeah. I I understand that it's not like I'm an inch to the left and I'm like wow that was a terrible shot and and my bow is off is my sight bumped is my stabilizer loose is this going on it's like 
um, you know, and then the next one is maybe an inch to the right or something. And the other one's in there. As long as it's, you know, like you said, in that heart, I'm good with it. I'm happy with it. And it's a lot more fun. Uh, now I find days where it's like, man, it would be just way easier to just shoot my, my compound, you know, <laughs> but that's why for me, I've taken that option off the table. You know, that's not even the choice. So and on those days, you know, on those days, I would just encourage people, yourself included to just hang up the bow and say, you know what, just a bad day, like just a yeah. bad day of shooting. And I tell people all the time, like, man, listen, even Steph, even, even Steph Curry has bad days of shooting where he's like, you know what, I'm going to pass the ball more today. Um, yeah. And there has to be those days where we're just like, you know, I'm just shooting bad and I'm just going to, I'm just going to go inside. I'm not going to make myself mad. I'm not going to start breaking everything down. Yeah. I'm just going to go inside for the day. And I've had to do that or I shoot so much and I'm like, all right, I'm falling apart. Like time to go in. I want to keep shooting, but it's time to go in because I'm, I'm creating bad habits here. Yep. Yeah. Or, or is what I've done is I just move up to like seven yards, you know, six, seven yards. I'm not aiming at anything. I'm just focusing on. Yeah my form and how the shot feels. I'm not worried about trying 100%. to get something specific. hundred percent. Um, before we go, let me give another thank you to our friends over at arrow junkie arrow junkie, um, sells all of the stuff that you need to build your own arrows, which getting into traditional archery kind of brought back that love and the art for building arrows for me as well. So go check out arrow junkie for all the arrow building tools, arrow saws, planers, all of the things you need to build your arrows they also do incredible custom builds so if you've wanted a custom set of arrows built you can get with arrow junkie send them your arrows they'll build them out custom for you and get them back to you go and they also have some sick apparel um go check out arrow junkie at arrowjunkie.com warren man thank you so much for coming on man it was an absolute pleasure um it's been a joy for me I by no means am a professional but I absolutely love this stuff and I love helping anybody I can. So it's been a joy for me just to be able to answer a couple of your questions. Um, it's been a pleasure, man. And I, I can't wait to see all the animals you put down with your recurve. I appreciate it. Dude. It's been fun. It's, it's fun talking to somebody about, you know, this new, this new journey because too, especially somebody new into it, there's not a lot of people that are, that are shooting the recurves and stuff. So, uh, I really enjoyed it. And hopefully I have a lot of animals to show you that I put down with the recurve, but we're going to get there. <laughs> Well, man, you'll have to uh, you'll have to swing through Kansas sometime. I've got a I've got nine 3D targets in the backyard. I've built a shooting platform on my back deck so I can shoot from twelve feet up, and uh, and we just have a little little shooting range back there. So next time you're swinging by, man, bring the recurve by and we'll shoot some bows. Will do, man. I appreciate it. Well, hey, man, have a good one. Try to stay warm and uh, good luck killing some turkeys. Thanks, man. You too. <laughs>